Welcome to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. Hi everyone and welcome to Location Matters. Really excited for today's episode, a little bit different to what you're probably used to hearing from us um, because this is a really significant milestone. Today we are celebrating our 50th episode of Location Matters, which has now been spanning over two years. And uh, today I've actually got Jamie Nobbs here with me as a co-host because first of all, Jamie's in my team. Uh, She is our marketing coordinator at the NGIS group. So she is with me across NGIS Lively, EO Data Science, Winyama Indigenous Mapping Workshop a lot of it and uh, what people probably don't realize is that she's the brains behind the podcast she is editing all of the episodes she plans all of the episodes and all the talent and everybody that's going to be on it so couldn't think of a better person to be on this podcast with us today so welcome Jamie who I fondly refer to as JN welcome Thanks, Sarah. It's good to be here. It's an exciting episode. I can't believe we've reached 50. It feels like just yesterday we actually started the podcast. Well, I was going to say that because you have been working at NGIS now for around, was it three, coming on four years? Yep. So you were here when Adam Mullet, who was a previous marketing manager at NGIS before me, began the podcast. Yeah. So he was a pioneer of it, saw it for what it was what its potential was. Back then, we would actually podcast with an iPhone. So the testing iPhone for the NGIS developers, which was one of the older iPhones, and it had a roadie um, or road, however you like to pronounce it, microphone that used to plug into the headphone jack. I think it was an iPhone 4. It was a pretty old iPhone. <laughs> and we couldn't upgrade the road program that we were using because it didn't support iPhone 4s. So now we're sitting here in a room with a full microphone set up. And a roadcaster. It's fantastic. We've come a long way. I feel like Adam would really love this setup. I think he would. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so Adam, Adam was the person who thought of the Location Matters podcast. And I feel like as part of the 50th episode today, we should be honouring him a little bit for thinking of the podcast and really seeing it for its potential um, and what it was worth back then. And I think, or well, I hope Adam is listening and is proud of where we've taken it, Jamie. And I um, had a little look back at some of the episodes that he did. And the first episode that ever aired of Location Matters with Adam as the host featured Adam and Richard Bentley, who is our old executive director. Um, he used to feature on a lot of the podcasts we did. And for, for people listening to the podcast, just to get a bit of an insight into working at NGIS, Adam and Richard together was a pretty funny duo. They're both a bit uh, zany and they used to have a lot of fun together and a lot of banter. So that was our first episode. And um, interestingly enough, Mr. Bentley, Mr. Cheeky Richard Bentley, who we all love so much, can actually, it turns out, see into the future. Yep. I, uh, I was quite shocked when we were listening back on episode one. We were talking about um, what some of the opportunities for, or what some of the location opportunities are now that in the future could become business as usual and he it looks like he can predict the future pretty well let's have a listen i think the next wave will come where there'll be the ability to consume that data inside other applications that have some sort of neural network or uh, artificial intelligence that will allow us to um, understand and plan um, 
you know, better situations for our communities. So who knew Richard Bentley could see into the future? Because almost two years later, we would be doing a podcast with Amar from EO Data Science, which was only aired a couple of weeks ago, which I'll confess, I was all hell out of my depth on that one because Amar is an absolute genius when it comes to neural networks, machine learning. And he actually gave us a bit of a deep dive into neural networks and kind of explained it to us in the sense of um, what that means for the world of geospatial technology. Neural networks are basically a class of machine learning models. So anything that can be solved using a machine learning approach where you have to automate something, where you have to find the patterns between the inputs and outputs, these are the sort of problems that can be solved using neural networks. So, for example, from a computer vision and imaging perspective, problems such as image classification, detection of various objects in the images, segmenting every pixel of the image, change detection and other such similar problems the neural networks and the deep specifically the deep learning can be used for such tasks and coming to the language side of it so uh, translation object character recognition these are the sort of problems that can be solved and also problems such as classification let's say classifying your emails into junk and not junk and other things and targeted ads and a lot of other problems suited for this kind of approach Great stuff by Amar, great stuff by Richard seeing into the future. I thought that was quite a um, quite an experience listening back to episode one and then I think it was se- episode one of season two, which was about 40 plus episodes later. But soon after the first episode, looking back, Adam took the Location Matters podcast to Madrid for the Cardo locations in 2018 and spoke to the founder of Cardo, Javier de la Torre. He spoke to Javier about a number of things about Cardo, but he also gave us a preview into some of the partnerships that they had around that time. And I think one of the exciting ones was they were partnering with Vodafone to talk about human mobility data. But lucky Adam and of course Richard, the dynamic duo, got to go to Madrid together and attend this conference. And they I know that they had a pretty good time there. I heard some stories about some partying that they did with the Cardo team and going out to and they go out to a couple of nightclubs or something. They had a bit of fun at the Cardo conference. And like a little shout out here to Flo Broderick, who is the global marketing manager at Cardo, who has, and I'll talk about this in just a sec, but has participated in a couple of our podcasts as well. They're unable to do their their usual events in person this year, and especially the Spatial Data Science Conference, which has become their flagship huge event. They're not able to do it, but they're pivoting to online. So there won't be any night clubbing with the Cardo team this year in Madrid. But yeah, Adam got together with Javier a couple of years ago, and Javier had this to say and gave Adam a little bit of a preview about the partnerships. This card locations, there's uh, two things probably that we're going to be uh, we're going to be talking about. One that I'm very very excited is data observatory. So you've heard us, you know, like we had for a number of uh, of uh, years now had a repository of data together with uh, with Builder and Engine, but now we're making it the first citizen as a product because we see more and more demand for it. And actually here in um, and the locations, we're going to be announcing like some key partnerships with some data producers that create those 
location that streams. One of them I can tell you about, one of them is Vodafone. So Vodafone is one of the biggest talkers in the world. They have a lot of data, you know, about, you know, how people move, where they are. And we work with them to, in an anonymized and aggregated way, to use it to recreate things like the census. So what we are looking at is opening a real-time census. And if you think about, like, how a real-time census can change the way that we do GIS, it really blows your mind. So listening back to that now, it's pretty amazing to see how far Cardo has come since that conversation. I mean, not only did they establish those partnerships two years ago, but they have just been an absolute force to be reckoned with in the last couple of years. I've seen such amazing growth from Cardo. Um, And more recently, they've actually had an announcement that Cardo will be available on the Google Cloud Marketplace for people to use. Um, They've also had their Cardo BigQuery connector, which has been a bit of a game changer in the GIS space. So they're just storming forward. And I mean, it's such a brilliant relationship that we have with them. I mean, like I know I'm fawning over Cardo a bit right now, but it's kind of like the sky's the limit with them. Like I feel like Jamie and I, don't we? We go to them with an idea and we say, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we could try this or do this with this data and like the Google Analytics webinar that we did. And it's kind of like they're just very innovative and very exciting to work with. And I'm just, yeah, it's so exciting to see how far they've come and can just imagine how far they'll go. Yeah, they're quite a dynamic team. I know we'll touch on this a little bit later with um, some of our more recent episodes with Flo and some of the work they've done around coronavirus. But yeah, they their team is so quick to change and pivot. The Spatial Data Science Conference is going completely online and I think it, there is tickets still available to that. But yeah, their partnerships, the work they're doing, it is changing all the time. They're creating new things and innovative new projects. So it's really nice to see how far they've come since our one of our first episodes with them. Definitely. But Cardo's appeared on, you know, a number of Location Matters episodes since 2018. But I really would like to highlight the involvement and the support that we've received from Florence Broderick, who is the Vice President of Marketing at Cardo. She's um, appeared on a couple of episodes now and is always just such a delight to speak to. We did do an episode with her about telling stories with data on a map. And we did another episode as well about storytelling with maps. And they always seem to do really well, these episodes. I think people are really intrigued by the idea of maps being a storytelling tool where maybe they hadn't considered it before. But just so our listeners know, one of our most listened to and most downloaded episodes was actually an episode that Dion from Lively did with Mel Flanagan from Nook Studio. And it's called Storytelling with Maps. We aired that on the 6th of December 2019. It had 288 downloads and almost 300 listens. That's correct. Yep. So we can see that everybody that listens to our podcast is pretty interested in that. But let's have a listen to what Dion had to say back then. Yeah, there's a couple of a couple of customers we've uh, or clients we've worked with in the past. I mean, one that comes to mind is Plastic Free July. So yeah, they were a uh, Australia-based charity. Uh, yeah, running a running a campaign in July about reducing the use of single or single-use plastic. And yeah, what they did was showcase participation and the reach of their campaign around the world um, on a map. And the other sort of mediums for that is something like a list or, or some sort of infographic, but it, it didn't really um, didn't really showcase it in the right format. So yeah, we put together an interactive map in this case um, that, where users could go in and see events that were in their region. And, and it also then was used as a, a communication tool to show the reach and how many participants they had um, all around the globe. 
A couple of others that come to mind. Coastal risk is one that NGIS worked on a few years ago. Um, and I feel like what that, that really did was connect the user to the story, um, which was all around sea level rise. It sort of it localized the impact. It made you think about exactly where do I live and what's the impact going to be for me. So instead of just reading some generic statistics saying sea level rise is going to be X meters, it's yeah, it makes it feel like there's a real impact to you. Um, it sort of takes you, puts you in the story in a way. Speaking of storytelling, one of the uh, more recent and frequent guests on our podcast is the Winyama team. So Winyama is the Indigenous arm that falls under the NGIS kind of group of companies, but they do a lot of work in storytelling and communicating culture and heritage mapping. We first had Winyama on the podcast on January the 16th in 2019 with their episode Indigenous Communities and GIS with Andrew Dowding, the Managing Director at Winyama, and Paul Farrell, the Managing Director at NGIS. Yeah, and Jamie, I think that as well, that that first episode that we did with Andrew and Paul really led into a bit more of a series of Indigenous mapping and how we treat that on our podcast and how we talk about the way that Indigenous communities use maps. And that's definitely a topic that Andrew dove into on that first episode. I was working alongside a lot of elders and um, community members and I I just saw the way they were using maps, these these kind of large paper maps with uh, not a lot of information on them, just kind of big white areas with sort of lines on them. And I I could just always see the way elders were looking at at these maps and not really understanding the information that they were, you know, the information that was sort of being communicated to them. And I began to introduce Google Earth into those discussions, these native title discussions around um, land use agreements and uh, sort of natural resource management discussions. And I was able to see the kind of transformation in how people were able to communicate about their, their country and you know, sort of from this sort of sort of seat of authority and real knowledge. And I got so really that's what really set me on this path is sort of seeing the way that maps can communicate cultural knowledge and but also sort of power, um, like the power of native title and um and also like the impact of having really senior people being able to communicate really clearly to industry and government bodies. So since that episode with uh, Andrew and Paul, we've actually had four episodes with the Winyama team on the importance of mapping with Indigenous communities. It's something we really deeply care about and have been involved in since our work with Winyama. So it's always great to have them on as guests in the podcast. And those episodes do really well. I think that people really support Winyama and the Indigenous Mapping Workshop. And I think one of the beautiful things that we've seen, even just as a a team within the NGIS group and outside of the podcast is just the overwhelming support that the Winyama team has received when it comes to the Indigenous Mapping Workshop. So really big well done to the Winyama team and um, also want to thank them for coming on the podcast and telling those stories. Um, It's really beautiful to hear them, to learn from them, to understand their culture, um, Indigenous culture and how it's represented in Australia. And one of the really beautiful things that I've taken away from that as the host of the podcast is talking about the reclamation of their stories on maps. I mean, during colonisation of Australia, there wasn't a lot of Indigenous knowledge that was captured on maps. It was all European and and white settler knowledge. So being able to, to hear their stories and see how they're reclaiming the map is a really wonderful thing. But it also got us really thinking about 
diversity and mapping, not just with Indigenous communities and making sure that, you know, Indigenous people feel represented and have pathways to be represented in STEM careers. But we really took a shift in season two, which is something I think Jamie and I are both really proud of, to not only address that accessibility for Indigenous groups, but to also look at the participation of women in GIS and in STEM. We really wanted to look to feature more women on the podcast, and we were acutely aware that we didn't really have a lot of women feature on the podcast previously. Eight episodes out of 15 episodes this year, I'm proud to say, have featured women, some featuring an all-women lineup of speakers. That might not seem like a lot, but when you realise that over the 34 episodes prior, only seven of them featured a woman, uh, we've come a long way in the past, this season in particular and this year. It's quite a significant jump from the participation of women in our podcast previously. We know we've still got a lot of work to do and there are plenty of more women coming up in our upcoming episodes, but it's something that we're really proud of to see that diversity of guest speakers, internal speakers as well um, on the podcast. Yeah, definitely, Jamie. And I think something that's really important to NGIS is making sure that we do have an equal participation of women working um, among our developers and GIS analysts too. So we are really supportive of any initiatives around women working in STEM and we really want to make sure that we're highlighting the amazing work that women um, and what it can look like when women work in STEM careers and including in our Kids at Work Day which is coming up and we always try and have a focus for um, the families of NGIS employees that come here um, for the Kids at Work Day and making sure that little girls in the team um, feel like they can do all the same things that the guys are doing um, whether it's flying drones, whether it's coding, um, all sorts of different activities and making sure there's equal opportunities. I think we should take a look back at uh, one of, I think it was our first episode featuring an all-women lineup, which actually had Nat Raisenbeck-Brown talking about Homeward Bound. Uh, so Nat's from the CSIRO. She is working closely with the Indigenous Mapping Workshop team, but she actually had some great insights into some of the incredible women working in STEM over in Antarctica. Let's take a listen. Now, Homeward Bound is a women in science leadership initiative and it's about really broadening that group of people in the world right now who are making all the decisions, especially those decisions about our environment, about how long we can sustain fossil fuels, how much of the reef we dig up, how much sand we take... All of those decisions, internationally, they're made by a very homogenous group. And so Homeward Bound is training up 100 women a year for 10 years to create a network of 1,000 women in science, break into those decisions and be there at all levels, policy to science to all levels of education and science and STEM to get in there and really push for a different view and a different opinion and a science-based, research-based opinion. And it's really nice to hear Nat talk about the Homeward Bound program. And I think what the Homeward Bound program does is that it really removes a lot of barriers when it comes to women moving into leadership positions and making sure that they feel supported and giving them all the tools they need to succeed. But on that note, I'd really like to talk about something that has happened more recently on the podcast and an announcement that's happened more recently and something that we've highlighted in a couple of our previous podcast episodes in this current season, 
which is about the Group on Earth Observations and Google Earth Engine grants that EO Data Science, um, one of our businesses, is involved with. And that's all about removing barriers and access to training and technology. It's a massive and important um, initiative for the world. And what it means is that groups around the world that are relying on earth observations or want to use earth observations and remote sensing technology to directly address the UN sustainable development goals can actually do that. And the EO data science team is actually providing support and training to the winners of the GEO and GEE initiative um, so that they can lead that change in the world. Let's have a listen to Nathan and Sam talking a little bit about that program. So look, it initially started with conversations with the Group on Earth Observations and also our friends at Google. Really the intention was to see, well, how do we support the global Earth observation community to develop, design and deliver really high impact solutions using Earth observations? And the Group on Earth Observations was the, the perfect network to achieve that. Fantastic group of people. And then the Google Earth Engine product was also a fantastic product to be able to allow organisations to scale their work because it was already some fantastic work being done. So those conversations have been happening for over two years. A lot of planning goes into place to put together a program such as this. And then the Geo Week, which was held in Australia in November last year, and it was a great honour for Australia to be able to host that, Canberra, um, was the, the perfect opportunity to actually launch the program because we, we had the opportunity to have face-to-face time with a lot of the people that actually came to, to that summit. And then we could actually have the, the ability to talk about what we wanted to achieve. We had Rebecca Moore there from Google, Gilberto Camara there from, from Geo. So it just all came together perfectly. A fair bit of work went into it, but that was the, the opportunity that, that made a lot of sense. Mm. Um, and then from there, a lot of hard work to go through. And the Geo team has been amazing. So they, they really ran the process of getting all of the applications to come through. The evaluation process was really detailed and involved a number of individuals from Geo, EA Data Science and Google, and that's taken a number of months to put together. So it feels like a, a lot of hard work, but it's definitely in a great spot at the moment. Really awesome to hear from Sam and Nathan about the Geo GEE winners this year and those initiatives, but also like... Shout out to Sam Atkinson because he's really saved my back when it comes to the podcast when we're talking about um, remote sensing or INSAR or basically anything to do with remote sensing and earth observations. Um, Sam has really stepped up to the plate with being a regular guest on the podcast. The problem is he has too many good ideas. We have to keep getting him on. Well, I feel like I think of, I think sometimes of the ideas and Sam just like, He'll, he'll come back with another 10 things on top of that and we end up with these 40 to 50 minute long episodes that you have to cut down. Yep. Um, <laughs> I think one of those is the more recent one where you actually came up with the idea of the Spatial Finance Podcast. Yeah, that, man, that was fun. <laughs> that was I a really, good episode. I really enjoyed that. That was really cool. It was um, For our listeners, that was our last episode. So um, have a listen to that. But yeah, um, Sam has been an absolute champion. He is probably the biggest Earth Observations nerd that I've ever met in my life. But he makes me excited about it. And for that, I'm really grateful. And I'm really grateful for his input on the podcast. I think there's some pretty incredible uh, guest speakers in the company that we've had. Yes, in the EO data science team, but also across the whole company. And some of those, some of the internal speakers that we've had have actually been on the podcast more frequently with talking about some of the milestones outside of the realm of the podcast that we've actually faced. 
Um, we've seen some pretty significant things happen in Australian history over the last six months and people are turning more to maps than ever before. Firstly, with the bushfire and then secondly, with the advent of coronavirus, which has been a massive focus for us as we curate podcast episodes. One of the first episodes we looked at talking about mapping in a crisis was actually Chris Hoare and Paul Farrell. So Chris is one of our consultants in Sydney and Paul Farrell uh, actually talked about mapping in a crisis earlier this year following on from the Australian bushfires. And I guess that was the start of a couple of the milestone podcasts that we've had since. I think that Chris and Paul speaking together on that was a really special thing because Chris and Paul have actually been working together for the longest out of anyone at NGIS. Paul's obviously the managing director, but fun fact, Chris has actually been an NGIS employee longer than Paul has. So those two go way back. So when we wanted to talk about mapping ethics in times of a crisis, I knew that these were the guys to talk to. First of all, because, you know, Chris Chris is really passionate and he's a really, really, he, he's amazing at what he does. He's really, really great at what he does and he cares. And Chris was pointing out to us a lot of maps that were being circulated in the media and a lot of um, incorrect information being shared and took real issue with that, as he should and as we all should, because nobody wants to be seeing false information or information that is true, but just being exacerbated by sort of big red colours and really morbid statistics and um, inaccurate information in many cases and data sources. So, and Paul, of course, being the managing director of NGIS was a perfect person to partner with him on that. Um, So we kind of dove into what is the right thing to do when it comes to mapping in times of crisis and the sharing of information, and they had a lot to say. So my favourite there is the big red dot map, as I like to call it, that's uh, appeared since uh, kind of early February. It's on a popular mapping platform, and I believe it's actually sort of well-intentioned. Um, it appeared on the ABC News for the Prime Minister's speech the other morning. And I think this is a good example of how to do and not to do mapping. It's got a bit of both in it. As I said, I believe that the intent was to provide it. They're trying to get data out. Uh, but the, the thing that the brain maybe naturally latches onto is, you know, where is it and what is it and how big is it? And so um, this is what we got to see. Uh, we saw a map of China initially with massive red dots across the country showing the size of confirmed cases. And when I saw it, because I've got family in China, I thought it's appropriate, but hey, why not say it? I just about have to change my underwear. Um, that's how serious this map actually looked. I looked at it closer though and went, hang on a second. So this big dot, 20,000 cases. So another dot next to about three quarters of the size, I clicked on that and it had 400 people. I thought, well, hang on a second. Maybe... Um, we've got a bit of a skew here in the symbology, and I dug into it a bit more. That's what had happened, and I think that's kind of natural. We do that in geoscience all the time when we've got logarithmically skewed data sets, try and sort of show that sort of subtle variation in the lower end. But in this case, um, it, I found it, and I think a lot of other people have over the last month, probably a lot less. Now, as I said, there's some good stuff there too. Like they've got really good data behind it. It's from a, it's from the uh, US Institute that sort of um, collects all this information and it's got everything you need there but I, I felt personal opinion that the representation uh, led to some high alarm um, so the data behind it was very good and the other thing of course is colours and uh, on colours 
big red dots. Red is bad. Okay, so that's alarmist already. Full of negative connotation. Yeah, so um, I think there's good things about it. But in my opinion, anyway, this sort of log type legend, you know, it looks dramatic, but perhaps you want to be showing a, a linear uh, type of legend in this case, just, just so that the size of your symbol sort of reflect the size of the outbreak. And did that personally for some friends and family. And last last thing on it is that the first thing that was getting plotted was just confirmed cases. There was no acknowledgement of recovery. And the key thing that it should have been plotting, and I'm pleased to see that this format had adopted this as of about three days ago, uh, is number of active cases, which is you know what we really need to be looking at at the moment. Fortunately, it's still using this log type symbology for active cases. So, so if you look at that with our, I'm not sure what today's number is, 400, 450 in Australia, but, you know, we're getting a dot that's sort of uh, getting up towards Italy at this point. So yeah, Chris is quite the knowledgeable guy. That was a great snippet from him. Uh, looking back over some of the other episodes we did this year, Sarah actually took the lead on a, I guess we could call it a mini ISO series while we were working from home to take some time to speak to some of our technology partners throughout the group of companies at NGIS. Can you tell me a little bit about why you wanted to talk to our technology partners about the pandemic and how they were responding to that as a as a technology provider? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think being in lockdown really challenged everybody. First of all, going into how we felt in terms of being a team that was trying to share information and knowledge during such a difficult time. I mean, one thing I will say is thank God for technology because it meant that we were able to keep doing the podcast and and keep being able to have these really important conversations. So I was able to take this recording equipment home and actually Google Hangouts all of our um, podcast speakers in. So I was doing one-on-one episodes, which isn't usually something that we do on the podcast. I always like to have a bit of a diversity of views and have a couple of people at the table or dialed into this. First of all, it showed me that it's possible that we can have really interesting podcast episodes while I can be looking at that person, even if it's on a screen and have them dialing in from Denmark, from the UK, from Queensland, Australia, like we had a lot of different people come on the podcast. But the reason I wanted to talk to technology partners and definitely people who I consider to be experts in certain technology types when it comes to mapping is because A, I wanted to talk about what they were doing, but I think particularly with the technology partners, um, so I spoke to Maps People and Cardo just off the top of my head, just a couple, was that I, I wanted to know what they were thinking with regards to how the world might be embracing spatial technology when it comes to moving out of the pandemic. This being obviously the, one of the worst pandemics we've ever experienced in, in yours and my lifetime and I think since the Spanish flu. We haven't had one this bad before. And they had some really interesting things to say. One of the things that we spoke about was the fact that people sitting inside all day and, you know, social distancing and being in lockdown is inherently location focused. People are more aware of their location than ever. And as product providers, I wanted to know how that was guiding the way that they were going to develop their products and how they thought the world would embrace spatial technology post-pandemic. Here's what Flo had to say about that exact topic. You know, we're jumping on WhatsApp groups and our social media pages and everybody's sharing maps. And we're used to sharing lots of maps and looking at maps all the time. But suddenly 
it became very clear that spatial analysis and, and visualization was going to be very important. And just location in general. I mean, we've never seen politicians talking so much about location and two meters, digital contact tracing, so many different applications. Um, and so we soon realized that actually it was going to be a, a busy few months. And so we very quickly decided that we needed to do something to get our technology into the hands of as many people as quickly as possible. And we were actually just in a, a team meeting and, and the idea of starting a grants program emerged. And we very quickly threw out a landing page from the marketing department. In fact, we just extended our normal grants program, which is for nonprofits, to anybody who was doing anything to fight against the coronavirus. And here's Christian Mugler from Maps People. So in the US, you know, the pandemic uh, has forced hospitals to quickly uh, transform, uh, support the influx of patients in a safe and manageable way. So to help the hospitals uh, during this crisis, we have developed Maps Indoors Red together with our partner uh, BirdDoc Technologies, which is an emergency wayfinding solution that helps to reduce the risk uh, of spread. It protects all the resources and, and communicate, you know, important information in a safe way. So in other words, you have Maps Indoors Red, which is um, a live and interactive map of your venue that allows patients and staff to easily locate for example, medical supplies, test tents, uh, treatment centers, you know, without exposing other patients and visitors to the virus. And then in the continuation of that initiative, we saw a need that arise as companies began to um, slowly allow people get back to their offices. So for this reason, we also identified five challenges related to that, that Maps Indoors could help solve. And of course, Maps Indoors Light came alive. So Maps Indoors Lite is a light version of Maps Indoors that focus exclusively on the challenges related to bringing back people in the company's facilities. They are some incredible technology partners, but they're just some of the partners we've worked with. We've actually had 25 non-NGIS group guest speakers join us on the podcast over the last two years, which is a lot of expertise on the podcast over a lot of different industries and technologies and we're really grateful to everyone that has joined us so far on the podcast. We've had a number of NGIS um, group employees, so the NGIS team, Lively team, Winyama team, EO data science team, uh, Indigenous mapping workshop team. Yeah, and I feel like we haven't talked about Paul Farrell enough. Sorry, Paul, we haven't talked about you a lot, but Paul's obviously supported us a lot in this. You know, he's supported Jamie and I with, you know, buying all the best equipment so that we can run this podcast the best way. And he features on a lot of podcasts. So from an internal speaker's point of view and internal champion really believing in what we're doing here with the podcast, Paul Farrell, thank you. Yes, thank you, Paul. We do really appreciate your support. And again, everyone else from the NGIS team that has joined. So we've rattled off Sam Atkinson. Chris Hoare has been on the podcast a couple of times. Amar, Yvonne. Nathan and Dion has been on quite a few episodes. Yeah, Dion's been awesome. He's been on heaps of episodes. He's really, he's just really talented at speaking about GIS and helping people that maybe aren't in GIS understand it in a way that's like, I guess he's a person that can explain it in a way that's not intimidating. So shout out Dion. Yes, he's been here for about four years as well. So he's helped me wrap my head around GIS when I didn't even know what GIS stood for back four years ago. <laughs> We've also had Oliver Looker, Usha, Marinda, Andrew, 
Uh, we've had Crystal Dobson on the podcast. We've had Jeeton on an episode over in the Sydney team. Even though we don't get to get the Sydney team on much, we actually do have an episode coming up with another Sydney team member, that's Clinton. I think that's the beautiful thing about, like I said before, about technology and especially in times where we've been challenged. This year it's been with coronavirus. It really pushed Jamie and I to think about how we can keep on putting together episodes for all you guys that you'll keep on enjoying but with speakers that may not necessarily be exactly where we are and we've been able to make that work and I don't think if it wasn't for COVID-19 I don't think that we would have been able to figure it out the way that we did it really pushed us to a different limit and across different boundaries and for that reason we've been able to have speakers um, like Karen Joyce who came on the podcast to speak about um, education with Google Earth Engine. We've had the guys from 3VG more recently who are based in Canada that were able to do that. Um, Like I said we had Flo come in from the UK and we had Christian doing an episode from Denmark. We've had all sorts of other speakers who were able to be here in person from UWA. We've had um, Nick from Geoscience Australia who came on to speak about GDA 2020. And then, you know, that's also led into some future podcast ideas that we've got about really guiding people through GDA 2020 a little bit more. So we're really grateful um, and we are so thrilled that we are able to put together a podcast that is giving you a view and some thought leadership and some knowledge sharing about GIS and mapping and location intelligence that is technology agnostic. And we're really proud of that. We're really proud that, you know, we can give you every view of GIS, not just one view. We really, really support technology providers in this space and we encourage anyone that's interested in being on the podcast to reach out to us. We'd love to have you. But we'd also like to put the call out to anyone that might want to be involved with the podcast in a more official capacity. If you are interested in sponsoring the Location Matters podcast, we'd love to hear from you. We would love to propel this podcast even further than we've been able to do it at this grassroots level with just Jamie and I and the NGIS team. And we're looking for people that want to join us in this journey. So If that sounds like you, let us know. We would love to have you on the podcast and as an official partner for our podcast going into our third year. I think we can round that episode out. Thank you again to everyone that has listened over the last two years. Your support means a lot. And and a big thank you to Sarah Butler for actually taking over the hosting of the Location Matters podcast. This also wouldn't be possible uh, without her, her help. So thank you, Sarah. Thanks, Jamie. That's really nice of you. I am really proud of being able to be involved. And I hope that the way that we've done it between the two of us, because um, it's not just me, I you know come on and, and host the podcast, but you produce it. But I hope that um, I think back to Adam and you know starting the podcast out that he it's something he would be proud of too. So I think as a team, we've all done a really great job. As usual, if you do want to listen to further episodes, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. You've been listening to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. To find more episodes or to read our blog, check out our website, ngis.com.au.